Hello, folks. We are Really Melanated, your two favorite horror aunties talking about movies one of us is obsessed with, but we both enjoyed. I'm Ashley, always with the Canadian homie, Carolyn. Hello. Today, we are discussing 1986's Jumping Jack Flash, directed by Penny Marshall. And Jumping Jack Flash, I'm just going to give you kind of a off-the-cusp uh, synopsis. So it's about this kind of New York City 9-to-5-er and she works in computers, and she so happens upon a spy caper, and then craziness ensues. That is a terrible synopsis, but just rock with me, you guys. <laughs> this movie stars Whoopi Goldberg as Terry Doolittle, Stephen Collins as Marty Phillips, John Wood as Jeremy Talbot, Carol Kane as Cynthia, Annie Potts as Liz Carlson, Peter Michael Goetz as Mr. Page, Roscoe Lee Brown as Archer Lincoln, Sarah Botsford as Lady Sarah Billings, Jerome Crabbe, I, I totally pronounced that incorrectly, so forgive me. His name was Mark Van Meter in the film. Also, who, also, oh yeah, some great notable um, people are John Lovitz as Doug. Phil Hartman is also in this movie as Fred. And was there someone else who I thought was great in this as well? Oh, um, also Jim Belushi is in this movie. His name is Sperry Repairman. That's what he's titled on IMDb, folks. <laughs> That's weird. But also, uh, Tracy Ullman is in this movie, too. Her name is Fiona. I feel like there was somebody else. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. It's going to come to me. I'm still looking. Scrolling, scrolling. Ah! Miguel Nunez Jr. plays a street tough in Jumpin' Jack Flash, folks. And Michael McKeon is Leslie in this movie as well, too. So, oh, 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 okay. One more. One more notable, of course. The greatest the great Gary Marshall was a police detective as well. So Carolyn, talk about uh, watching Jumping Jack Flash for the first time. Do you have any kind of history with it? And what did you think about it today? Okay, so um, when you were like, yeah, we're doing Jumping Back Jack Flash, I was, oh my God, the nostalgia. So for me, it was, uh, I believe we rented it on video, on a VHS and I think I might have seen it on TV as well. I think I really like the quirkiness of it. Also, you don't see a lot of Black women doing a quirky role. So for me, Whoopi doing this role was really, it was so refreshing and it was so new to me because we always had to be a stereotype. And she was so far from a stereotype, even though she did play up some, as we'll get into. Um and I just thought that it was really refreshing. She, I, it, it, it was like that fantasy of, um, you know, being single and living in New York and having a cute little apartment. And I always wanted that kind of life. So it was kind of refreshing to see her in this caper film. Um, and then rewatching it um, so we could record for today, it just it gave me such a sense of nostalgia, like just for the 80s cuz i grew up in the 80s and i was like a teen and it was just kind of it's just really it was sweet and she played this like quirky like i guess like almost like a not quite a manic pixie girl but you know she was the black version and you didn't really see that so yeah just this overwhelming nostalgia when i when i saw the film yeah how about you yeah uh this this movie gives me all the feels so forgive me, guys. I'm going to try to be as not long-winded as possible. But basically, 
this is one of the first movies I remember watching kind of sort of with my mom or remember one of the first movies I remember giving her a lot of joy. And I would watch it. I, I remember kind of watching it with her, kind of watching it in the same room with her and just thinking to myself and just like Whoopi's character, uh, Terry, reminded me so much of my mother because my mother uh, worked in computers, so they were at those computer terminals. I'm just like, and I remember, and I used to go to my mom to, with, to work a lot as well. So she worked at the University of Pennsylvania around this time, and she worked in kind of the basement area of the hospital. And the basement area, it looks like it those old school, if people are, are familiar with it or have seen it on TV or have seen it in person, those kind of... Um, those kind of like big computer rooms, like not a computer lab, but the rooms with like all of like the big tall machinery that you had to understand, that you had to understand how all the wiring and things kind of worked. And also I remember seeing kind of like computer terminals and things like that there. So just kind of reminded me of her. Also uh, Terry's quirkiness as well, kind of like she had like all of the, the little gadgets and doodads on her, um, on her, on her desk. And she had her, her desk kind of stood out from everyone else's in that particular space. And my mom was kind of like that too. Like she liked little knickknacks and things like that. And sometimes I would, I would use my allowance sometimes during Christmas time, like kind of buy her those kinds of things for a desk for, uh, for Christmas. And, you know, she wore glasses and her hair was short. Her hair was short. My mom had more of a kind of a jerry curl look, even though my mom didn't have a jerry curl. She had that kind of curly textured hair, but like she, that's how my mom wore her hair, but still it was in a short style brown skinned woman, wore glasses, all types of things. Like, and you know, knew how to navigate around white folks. Like all this stuff I see her with, and I kind of seen that reflected in Terry. And I just, it, to this day, it, it really does remind me of my mom. Like when I was watching it for the episode here, it was that um, scene where she was wearing the um, sunglasses, like doing a Ray Charles. And she was like, I want Jack, boom, 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 boom. I want him come back. But like, I remember, like my mom used to sing that and do that. And then I used to do it with her. It was just like, so it has like Aww. a really, it has, it has some really fond memories for me. And like, I you know, know this movie very, very well, very intimately. There's an interaction that Terry is having with um, Gary Marshall's character. And I remember my mom cracking up laughing, like at some of those parts and some of the things that they were at as far as for comedic effect in the film. So yeah, I think, so through, I've been watching this film since it came out, since it was on television. And, you know, every now and then I will, you know, watch it. I was really happy to see that it was um, streaming on HBO Max. I think I own it, but it gives, it gives me those like warm, fond memories. And I, I, overall, I really do think that it, it's a confident comedy. And just for context, like I feel like um, from what I've read and from what I remember, and I'm kind of going off the cusp here, so forgive me, is I remember like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg being really staunch about like kind of taking these kinds of roles and again, not playing to a stereotype because she really wanted to kind of stretch out of those, stretch out of those ideals, especially for a dark-skinned, nappy-headed black woman in the 1980s was really she did some really groundbreaking stuff as for representation and optics honestly and she she was choosing roles that could have been written for men and could have been completely racially ambiguous i think some of the insertions of lines in jumping jack flash they may have been improvised i need i would need to look that up but they you know because i don't think i don't think this script was written for a black woman yeah i agree i don't think it was either um because then i was just looking up some information, it was Petty Marshall's first film, right? And it yes. sounded like that. And she was saying in an interview, she's like, it wasn't 
it wasn't her movie. They just said, here, do this movie. <laughs> She's like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, she, she took it over from somewhere. Yeah, else. she didn't really want to do it either. But I think she was saying she had dinner with Whoopi Goldberg. And then she found out that Whoopi was doing the film. And she's barely called all these like Saturday Night Live actors or soon to be Saturday Night Live actors. So and she said she had a good phone book. <laughs> she just called all these people up like John Lovitz and, you know, all the comedians. And that was the crew for the, the office. So it just was kind of like a almost like a happenstance movie. But it it, it was, a, I guess, a happy accident. I really I, I like that aspect of it. But I also, um, what you were saying about her taking these roles, she was really, uh, Whoopi was really roasted for that. Like, you know, people really criticized her for taking these roles. But it was outside of the box for Black women. And, and especially because she didn't have those white standards of beauty. And I feel like she took the roles, to, as you were saying, to defy people's stereotypes and the, but the end result, I feel like, um, you know, in the hands of editors and and directors, it wasn't. It didn't end up being what she had envisioned for herself. I think that's the problem. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I I you know, Whoopi for me was somebody who she was always like considered different for me, just because seeing her doing these roles, as you're saying, that could be considered masculine or ambiguous, and she was doing it. And you didn't really see a lot of black women because I always think of like a, not not in, in terms of comparison, but like um, Vanessa Williams, right? Who was like mm -hmm. in um, oh that uh, movie Erasure with uh, uh, Schwarzenegger, you know? So she's doing like these action films, and she, that's kind of out of her type because she's like this beauty queen, you know, light skinned black woman. And then you have Whoopi, who's doing these roles where. She's playing someone with quirk and, and personality and defies type. So she was she really stood out for me. And when she did the comic reliefs, I always watch those because of Whoopi and Robin Williams. So, yeah, she really was. She is. I, I'm going to use the word iconic because she didn't. I don't know how to describe it, but she she really defied what stereotypes were out there. So I don't know if I'm babbling. <laughs> no, I'm going to piggyback on a lot of what you said I feel like so I feel like she was ahead of her time and she may have set the tone unofficially for what Issa Rae is doing now on screen mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest and um I'm using this next statement as kind of a I'm using I'm going to put this in context so I don't want anyone to think that I'm kind of making these broad general sweeping judgments but here it goes so when you said that you know Whoopi got a lot of backlash for these uh for these kinds of roles, I almost, and I could be wrong, but I almost feel like that's an imprint on the idea of this kind of narrow idea of Blackness at this particular time. And I say that because when I think about what happened to Whitney Houston at the Soul Train Music Awards, I forget the exact year. I want to say 1989. I'm not 100% sure about that, but it was in the late 80s. And I remember when she was nominated for an award there and you heard from the, I think from the balcony area, there was a lot of boos. And basically it was because like, oh, Whitney's a sellout. She's not really one of us. She's doing pop music. She's trying to cater to white people. She's not really making like black music. And so there was this kind of like rhetoric and sentiment that was going around during that era. 
I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know, you tell me if you experienced it, Carolyn. I experienced it that, like, just at, through in my peers. It was kind of reverberated. It was just, like, you know, liking these things that are, like, you know, not under whatever umbrella that it was to be Black or to exhibit Blackness in the media or even in your, like, personal or social or work life. And if you strayed from that, you were considered an Oreo or you were considered an outcast because these kind of like multiplicitous ideas of blackness was not fully accepted at the time. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And you bring up a a point that I actually earmarked a page in um, Donald Bogle's book, um, uh, Tom's Coons, Mulattoes, Mammies and Bucks. So he was writing about Whoopi and he's one of the people that really took her to task for doing these roles and um, he's describing the film and he's describing Terry in Jumping Jack Flash. And he says, in her apartment, there are no cultural demarcations to suggest it as the home of a black woman. So when I read that, I'm like, so what demarks an apartment or a home of a black woman? I, I'm puzzled. <laughs> and African masks. Um... Um, posters of black films the shikis like yeah like african prints on the wall african prints on her couch that in itself blankets yeah yeah, (laughs) like that in itself really it put me off because exactly what you were saying they're like whoop um or uh, whitney isn't isn't black enough or you know you're not you're not one of us well um if you, if you took a snapshot of my bedroom right now, uh, it's got Funkos. <laughs> it's got like horror posters up. I've got like, you know, I've got like some stuffed horror toys. I mean, I do have a few little pictures of women with afros, but w- why is not me being black enough, you know? So that's, you bring up a really good point and it's, it's emphasized here by what Bogle says about her apartment. And it's like, but she's black. So isn't that enough? Yeah. And I, like I said, like, well, it says that like Shelley Long was originally cast to play the lead. Right. Shelley Long's white as hell. Yeah. So, and, <laughs> but even with the casting of Whoopi, it kind of feels like, well, that's a good, that, that's an interesting point. See, filmmakers who are listening to this probably know the title of the person who is tasked to, you know, design the set like you know the settings for a particular character like the particular props you put here and there forgive me i don't know the i don't know the person i don't want to get that name i don't want to get the name of that person wrong or that person's responsibility but like sure they could have done that once Whoopi was cast done a little bit but that's but that's also not her character's person that that's her character's personality but it isn't like that's for me that's kind of a kind of a mixed bag i guess um i can understand his criticism <laughs> but also I don't think that takes away from the movie and it definitely doesn't take away from her black. I definitely don't think it takes away from her blackness. How, how black can you get? I mean, she has locks. You know what I mean? Her skin is, oh, and I kept, by the way, her skin, I kept looking at her face and um, it just. No pores. No pores. And there is a scene, she's just um, sitting there. I can't remember if she was at her desk or something. And she has these two spots of color on the apples of her cheeks and it made me think of when I was a makeup artist I used to be a receptionist at a photography studio so a makeup artist came in and they were doing a shoot and she was black 
and I was wearing blush. And I personally, I love blush. I have to say, I love blush. I don't care what color you are. Anybody can wear blush. But this black makeup artist goes, oh, you know, black women shouldn't wear blush, right? And I'm like, who said? So from then on, I would wear shitloads of blush. I don't care. You can't tell me I can't wear blush. And then just looking at Whoopi with the two, you know, bits of rosiness on her cheeks. I just love that because women with really dark skin can wear bright colors like nobody else. So to me, that was very empowering. I don't know, just that little, you know, seeing a bit of blush on her cheeks. I I, I didn't think that they were trying to appropriate whiteness with her. I felt like it was almost like they were enhancing the fact that her skin is so dark and she can wear bright colors. And to me, it just looks so lovely and so feminine because she's often not painted as feminine, right? No. So anyway, that's just an aside. <laughs> no, that's I, I, no, that's a good point. I mean, that goes back to what, just going back a little exactly to compliment what you just said and what Bogle was saying, like the, uh, the film opens with you, you seeing her, Terry's apartment mm-hmm. and she's got a, a poster of Metropolis, the movie, um, what other movie? Is it Casablanca? Like she's got all kinds of like these odd, knit, odd knickknacks and stuff even in her house as well. Yeah, the fifty Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like yeah, all of these um, quote unquote white movies. Um, I mean, come on. Like we all doesn't matter what color you are. A lot of us embrace all types of movies. Like that's the other thing too. Like we don't like I don't know. Like there's I mean maybe there are folks out there who just want to have their lives to be all things black. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but maybe there is those people. But for most of us, we're watching this stuff too. Mm-hmm. We're watching quote unquote white movies as well. Like we're doing all the, like we like these things. I did think it was a little odd. She had a little white baby knickknack in her house, but you know. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little white baby kind of a statue or thing. Oh, but okay. and again, I don't think she's putting white people and white supremacy supremacy on a pedestal because no. she has these things in her house. I just I again, like I said, I understand his criticism, but at the same time I'm just like again, this that's why I said this before it's time. This is a character this is not a character that transcends race. That's not what I'm saying. What mm-hmm. I'm saying is this character was not quote unquote written black. But for instance, you do hear things in the movie where she goes, you know, oh, you think when she's with Gary Marshall again, oh, you think because a black woman is at, at the pier at like 1.30 a.m. She's with a she's with a pimp or a John. And she, again, she's kind of critique, critiquing racial, racialized, racialized and gendered stereotypes. And what's the other my, one of my favorite lines? Again, one of me and my mom's favorite lines is like, like, I'm a big black woman in a big silver box that says phone on the top. Help! Like, <laughs> yeah. love that scene. Love it. So, again, it's like she's not, she, she does not want the audience to forget that she's black. But she's a woman with varying interests, my opinion. Well, yeah, and I think that it makes her multidimensional. Like, you, why can't we, like, the attack of the 50-foot woman and... I mean, the the film Metropolis, I mean, Janelle Monet, she was inspired by that film to create her alter ego, right? So mm-hmm. we can have all kinds of influences in our lives and still be black, you know, and still like blackness and still love ourselves and, and want to be black. So, I mean, it, it's true. You can tell that that script was not written for a black character also i really like the hairbrushing scene where she's pretending <laughs> to brush her locks and you mm-hmm. can tell like i could totally see shelly long 
brushing her long blonde hair. But she, I feel like Whoopi elevates that to the point where she's like, it's just like a mockery of these these silly montages of people getting ready, of women getting yes. ready. And I think that is, it just elevated that to, um, it's just laughable, you know? She really brings that to, to the forefront. But, but I just was, it upset me on a personal level reading that line from Vogel's book because I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? Like, anyway, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Shelley Long to me is like so much her character in Troop Beverly Hills in the 1980s and also even on Cheers. I can't really see her in this role. There's a, there's a, there's a grit. There's a quick wittedness that Goldberg's character needs in order that that brought Terry to life in this in this particular kind of film. This was like a spy caper. This was like um, going deep into espionage and the kind of like ingenuity. Like the the thing I love about Terry is she's so quick on her feet. Yep, and is able to kind of improvise and do the things that need to be done. And uh, because again, because I think also with the props in her, um, some of the props, especially when she's watching the movie when she's a. Uh, when she's making dinner for herself after work mm-hmm. and she's sitting down and she's well, I don't know what movie that is. Forgive me. Do you know? No, I if was I trying to figure out what movie that was and I couldn't, I couldn't place it. It's not like a Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart film. Is it? Is it I one of those? Maybe. I think so. I just think it, it had like, it, but you, you're kind of, but you get the point of like the theme of like what she's watching and you're, it has that kind of romantic element, that connection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what t- Terry is really look. She's looking for adventure she's looking for friendship she's looking for you know a certain level of intimacy that she just doesn't have as a single woman you know it's re- and I, I love how she interacts with her co-workers it's really fantastic like she comes to work she enjoys working but also the thing that gets her in trouble at work is that like she at, at this bank like she's doing these kind of um international transactions but she's also this is before this is before aol chat rooms right this is for before aol instant messenger this is before all of that where like people who are working on computers are doing these really innovative things so she's talking to people live kind of like in a chat kind of like she's like giving them advice she's like you know listening to their problems she's helping them and stuff like that and she gets in trouble with her boss because th- that's not what this Again, it's not what this uh, job is for. You're supposed to just, you know, do these kind of uh, bank uh, transactions. Uh, and so she's like, you know, she tells him because he gets snippy with her. And she's like, well, I'm not a computer, Mr. Page. You know, like mm-hmm. she says, like, I'm just, these are real people behind this computer screen. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real person too. Like I love connecting with people. I like having, fr- I have, like, I, I like having friendships. Like when she helps the pr- with the, um, the other dark skinned pregnant black woman who works in her office, who's going on maternity leave. Yes. Like she helps, she helps her. She, Carolyn, I love seeing black women lo- love each other on screen. Yes. I, love, I love to see it in real life. I love to see it. Just that, just that simple gesture of like the, just helping her adjust her, um, her seat, which a pregnant woman should never sit in. Like that thing looked torture even for a non-pregnant woman. Yeah. Like, yeah, to kind of just sit in the seat. She's adjusting it for her. She's making her laugh. She's like saying, she like when she's having her, her hormonal moment, like when she's crying because she's about to leave and she's about to have a baby. And she's like, Terry's like, don't cry. Come here. She gives her a hug. Like, I love, I just love that. And she she gets along with Carol Kane. Carol Kane is talking about like what man she had in her bed last night. Yeah. It's a different man every week. Like, it's just, she's having fun with these people. And I just, I love the dynamic of like all of those people in the office. Yeah. It's, it's that you're so right. Like it's just, she's a, a whole person and, you know, back to that scene where she's watching the, the, the love scene um, on TV and just 
like that moment where they kind of just stop on her face and you can see like how she really yearns for that a type of a connection to me that was um just so so much vulnerability of w- within that character because she's you know on the outside she is this fun quirky woman she's smart you know she thinks on her feet but then just in that moment of stillness you know that it, it's so weird in such a, a panned film like that um and it's just kind of like this 80s comedy that you know you put on the shelf and it gets dusty but that moment of stillness it's so beautiful to me because it really shows like as a black woman that loneliness and it's funny because mm-hmm. you sit there and you look at and you're like well how many moments have I had like I remember watching um uh, some kind of wonderful that movie with Eric Stoltz yeah. and her, his friends mm-hmm. the girl she's a tomboy and she's a drummer and I'm just like looking at the happy ending and I'm like, I want a happy ending too. I want to the good, you know? And I totally, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of myself in that character of Terry as well. And I'm sure you can relate to it as well. You know, like I've had, I, I have more than enough. Yeah. I have a lifetime's worth of those moments. Yeah. So it's, it's, it really is. I think it's such a neglected film in terms of a female black character that is so fully rounded, even though, but it's just kind of a chance thing that it wasn't really written for a black woman. Like it just, Whippy just brings so much dimension to that character. Yeah, I love it. I love when she meets Jack. I, I don't think he ever, was that his real name? I guess it was. They never really, because Jumping Jack Flash seemed like an alias or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah it did. I guess, so he, I guess his name was Jack. I don't know. That seems too obvious. You can't be no MI5 spy and have the same <laughs> name as your alias. Let me see what they had credit him as here. Let me see. Um, yeah, it was Jack. Dude. Yeah, it was Jonathan Price. He was like, um, oh yes, he was in um, uh, James Bond movies. He's like Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross. Um, he's a long time, you know, I believe he was a stage actor too. Let me see. Oh, he's from Wales. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Like I think, again, just he he looked when we finally saw his face i'm like he again he looks like some of the guys that my mom worked with like john lovitz looked like some of the guys and marty who looks like like all like i swear to god these men came straight out of my mom's office like when my mom was doing computers it was was, of course it was very male male dominated when white male dominated even more specifically and like all of almost all the men in the movie looks exactly like the men that she worked with (laughs) it's crazy but um so of course she figures out the code key. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called. It's, was it called the code key? Yeah, it was called the so. code. Uh, let me just see. Let me see. Uh, it just says I wrote down in my notes the code. <laughs> but yeah, I think it is a code key. Yeah. That, that's funny too because like because if you watch this movie a few dozen times like I have like you like when you has I think the line when she's supposed to like try to like crack the code like I think the I think the key I think the clue is sing along with me and find the key. I think that's the, that was the term. Right. And so if you, cause I, I, of course I, of course when I'm younger, right. And think about like, what does he mean by that? I'm like, and I'm watching it again for the first time in a while. I'm like, that totally makes sense. That's a, that's a very obvious clue when she, when she does figure it out. And of course she kind of like, again, has a quirky moment where she figures it out and she's really excited about it. And she doesn't, it's also what I realized about her. She doesn't give up. She was, she was always driven to, drive the action of the story and I, and I think it was done pretty seamlessly yeah she 
she did not give up. Yeah, she, she. I really love that about her. Just like being so tenacious and like, and um, you know, when Jack finds out she's a woman, and he's like, "Oh no, well, you can't do this." And she's like, "Excuse me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do this." <laughs> she got really mad, and I mean, that to me is such a natural reaction. Yeah, she asks him like, "Do you want my help or not?" And then later, of course, when she goes to Sarah and she's able to get him one of the exit. I forget the I forget the term, forgive me. But some somebody like Sarah, like his ex girlfriend, who's now with someone of a prestigious British uh, position, was supposed to get get him some kind of like eg- exit, like some kind of contact to get him out of wherever he was. And um, he said he says to her, maybe we should leave these jobs to the women. And I just thought, yeah, like you know what I mean. Like that's a kind of a revelatory moment for him, just kind of realizing that, like you know, any. It, in this particular circumstance, like anyone could, like you know, be a good spy. I'm sure. I'm. I'm we know for a fact. Wasn't Josephine Baker a spy in World War Two? Yes, like, she was. Yep, for the French Resistance, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So women could be just as good as spies as men, if not better, or not necessarily better, but could do things that men can't do, and vice versa, perhaps. You know. Oh yeah, and because I feel like too, black women are so uh, invisible in a way. You know, we could. Dude probably get away with a lot more you know let me tell you something i have been thinking because i love his i love learning history i love watching documentaries i think a lot about world war ii it's probably one of my favorite uh wars to kind of like um watch documentaries about mm-hmm. and i just think i just and i just think about kind of like because you know how like people like tarantino play with fictional history and things like that and i'm just like no one has made that movie where, because you did you make because you make the point that I've been thinking about for a long time. Black women, we're invisible, mm-hmm. and if you could train a black woman to know different languages, to know how to navigate certain weight, certain spaces, they could know. They could be the best spies ever, yep. ever. Oh my goodness, you're totally right on. We with should that. start a business. Oh my god, <laughs> I am so not business savvy. I, I, I'll do the I'll do the creative stuff, and then someone else can do all the busy work. <laughs> oh my god, that would be a good time. but yeah yeah. no it's true we i mean people often do not think of black women as being for for instance as your mother was tech savvy um i mean look at terry who was able to fix as you're saying fix the chair fix her computer um she knew how to talk to people she was providing customer service Mm -hmm. even though she was being criticized for it she was providing stellar customer service because she was relating to her customers. She could do it all. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that but other than she was pretty awesome. And she was brave too. Oh my goodness, like mm-hmm. when she first goes to Jack's apartment and someone takes a picture of her in the apartment, I think she sees it and she gets freaked. She's gotten freaked out so much, but she still continued to do it. I'm like, "You are a brave woman." Cause I'm not, I don't know if I have the boldness to uh, get involved in uh, international espionage, like, and like legit be in danger. Like she, she <laughs> yo, when she gets back into the cab, when she comes from Jack's apartment to get the frying pan and then yep. like Jim Belushi, like pulls the gun to her, she starts screaming and then he's like, shut up, we're taking a ride. And she like bops him over the head with the frying pan, rolls out of the car. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weapon. <laughs> she thinks on her feet, right? Yeah. I mean, even after even after all of that, she continues to do it. Like, what was the other one? Um, it's some she meets Mr. Van Meter at, at the at the 
appears in New York City in the mid-1980s at like 1.30 a.m. And she said, she was like, why don't I just put pen a 100 bill on my ass and say, victim here, victim here. (laughs) Exactly, right? (sighs) But yeah, that bravery and that tenacity, I just, yeah. Her characters, it was so much fun and, and very lovable. And even again... I don't think this is going too deep. We're, we're, this is what we do here. But like, even when she's talking with Gary Marshall, at the, when he's the detective at the police station, and she's talking about, you know, there's a, there's a, I just saw, I just saw a man get murdered, and he doesn't believe her, and Ugh. she's, got, and she's got to curse and be all, and do all these types of things in order for him to, to get his attention. And he's still, and even as she has his attention, she's, he's still not paying close attention to what she's saying. And, you know, they find Marty, one of her coworkers, they find her card. Of course, you know, we later learn that Marty is a CIA agent. So that's, he's undercover. So, you know, he's able to kind of like, you know, neutralize the situation. But again, he's the white man that can come in and kind of be the advocate for this, you know, this hysterical black woman, you know, again, I, I, that's why, yo, this film's black. I mean, not this, not this film is black, but this is a black woman. Like there's, Mm -hmm. and the way people are treating her, like it's, it's not, Again, it may not be not may not seem one hundred percent obvious, but when we when we're going through this reckoning right now, and I think we have our almost our entire lives and legacies is but like people not believing black women or us being less believed than most other people about certain things and about especially if a film is showing you what she is saying to be true and still people still aren't believing her. This is this is this is an issue, and this is. I don't know. I just, I see the optics of like what happens with her character. And again, her, the fact that she points out, she points out the, again, like the idea that, you know, oh, I'm down at the piers at, at, in the middle of the night. I must, I must be with a pimp or a John. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she's even pointing it out herself, her, the character. Yeah. She points out the assumptions of, of, of being black. And it's really t- especially when her, um, when Marty comes to get her from the police station, he's trying to pacify, like he's, trying to basically translate her behavior into white speak or white understanding or like put her back in that stereotype, you know, because she, she escalates it to that stereotype Mm -hmm. so that as you're saying, she's going to be heard because that's the only way they're going to hear her. And then he has to kind of put that white, white appeasement on top of that. So it's like this layered uh, commentary on society uh, it's uh, yeah. and out of this you know that one scene it's it's pretty crazy yeah and what happens after yeah so at mr van meter's funeral um i just want to shout out the late great roscoe lee brown who plays another one of jack's one of other jack's contacts that was on the frying pan and you see him for the first time at mr van meter's funeral and then mr talbot i believe is there too the uh the the british dude who's out, who's the mole because also, you guys, I think, for the people who haven't seen this movie, I think this is also kind of a Red Scare movie as well. I, there was a lot of those going around. Because um, I never fully, when I was watching it uh, as a younger person, I never fully understood what the issue was. And it seemed like there was, like, you know, dual agents for British intelligence that were working with the KGB, which I believe is the Russian, which is basically another way of saying Russian police. Um, so that was the whole thing there. But Roscoe Lee Brown uh, is an incredible actor um he's amazing like you know i'm a younger person so i first saw him on a different world when um jada pinkett's character was on the show and he played he played he played the english professor and he just you know very again very much like the character in this movie like he has a that very commanding voice very articulate very regal 
um, very exceptional. I, I just, I don't know. I love his voice. I love, especially I love the way he dealt with, dealt with the English students in a different role at, in, at Hillman. When he said, now you can all exult. I think that's the way of saying, another way of saying exit. I think, I'm thinking pronouncing it correctly. I don't know if I am, but you get what I'm saying. And then everyone's looking at him like he's crazy. And he's like, oh dear. Like, and I just, I, I just, I loved his character. Cause also this is a sidebar, but the character, I'm not going to get too much into it, obviously, because that's beyond the scope of this discussion. But his interaction with Jada's character, like he helps, he help, he helps bring out the writer in her. Like he helps encourage her to be a writer because, because of like she, she was trying to, she's so again, she was like a lot of us who, were, who started college, we didn't know what our voice was yet. And he helped her, he helped kind of guide her and find her way her, that her character's way, her character's way in, in particular. But I liked him in this movie as well. Um, he gives Terry advice about just, just about just he, he kind of gently warns her. In a really kind of like low key creepy way because she because at that point like she like every like she every cab driver she interacts with like you know they all disappear in some weird circumstance so she gets in this car and he tells her like you know you are an expend you're basically an expendable character and I really would hate to see you die just because you, when you have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on so um, even though he had a small role it was it's for me it was very um, memorable and he has a he has a great light i think he's a legacy as a very prominent theater and on-screen actor yeah big time big time yeah like he was even i forgot about this but he was in uh logan's run he plays um box that right robot that they cut. yeah i totally forgot about that but yeah he's got oh there's so much in his acting resume like so much and of course he would be in theater with that voice and that presence right mm-hmm. yeah very much like William Marshall same oh. same thing yep yeah absolutely and it's kind of like he was um oh, what's the word like almost like a not a, a a protector or like a guardian but he was kind of helping trying to help her navigate as you were saying like this space of uh the, the, the spy arena you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it was just it's just it was an interesting uh it's an interesting little blip of a scene there yeah so there are other like f- like you know even through all that there are other fun things that like um whoopi goldberg's character tends to do like there's that whole queen's ball that's at the british council it is that what yes called? i wanted to talk she- about that <laughs> you want to start it off oh my gosh Okay, well, my observation. So you know how she starts out in that gigantic coat? And, yes. it's, and it's like she's literally wearing a, a cloth box on her body. <laughs> um, and then it's, there's that moment where she's wearing the, the sequence, the blue sequence dress. And mm-hmm. she's like, like ultra feminine, but the ridiculous wig on her head. Um, <laughs> I, I know it was done for comedic, you know, um, enhancement let's just say but it was awful but then you're like all right whoopee you got it you got you know you got the cute little body and you can you wear like a tight dress and it's it's funny how they do that with female um uh comedians where they make them dress all kind of uh, asexual and then they have that moment where they put them in a hot dress or a cute dress or something to show that they are feminine um but yeah, that was a pretty ridiculous uh, sequence. <laughs> yeah, because she's singing like, and she again, it goes back to the, the, who the character is. Like she when she's singing, because um, she didn't she didn't have a uh, an invitation, 
So she, again, she, again, used uh, perceptions of blackness against um, the other people that were there. So, oh, she's a black woman there. If she's not being a servant, she must be the entertainment, right? Exactly. So I'm just throwing out <laughs> that suggestion possibly, right? So, and then she has, clear enough, she's ready. She came prepared. Like, she's ready to lip sync of uh, the Supremes You Can't Hurry Love. And then, which is one of the things I remember. I will still, even if I'm lying in bed watching this movie, I will still sing and mimic her um, <laughs> her gestures. Because I don't know, again, this 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 film is uber nostalgic for me and it's funny because even my mom again the thing with like tracy allman and michael mckeon's character because it's like she's like i really want to get home now i really want to get home now like i still say that too to myself and like so she's able to kind of schmooze her way into that ball and you know do so jack needs her to go in order to get up to the computer room to link some kind of a computer thingy so she can access the context in that computer system for jack i think that's kind of a deal and that becomes a whole caper because she runs into Jeremy Talbot again and he tries and they, they, they want to keep an eye on her because they're like, why is she here? So they, of course, they want to see why she's here because they know she's in contact with Jack. And then Annie Potts comes in as like the genuine white ally, we'll call her. Yes. And- yeah, so she comes in, she's just like, oh, yeah, she's here because she's, like, cousin through marriage, and then, you know, so she's, she, she does everything to make sure that Terry can accomplish what she needs to accomplish, and because what, what was, I think the, I think the, 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 the story was her husband was missing, but, like, Talbot and his folks, they made sure that her husband was dead, and then they framed Jack for it, which is why he was stuck. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. I think that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And so, you know, so her not knowing the, everything that's going on, but her, of course her, she had a dog in the fight because she wanted to know where her husband was. So um, they're able to do all of that and she's able to successfully get in. But of course, Talbot finds out that, you know, he's trying to get those proper contacts and it doesn't happen. So, you know, again, even after she goes through all of that, Oh, and there was the whole caper with her, getting her dress caught in the uh of the the shredder i think that was the only moment where like all right wrap it up (laughs) like okay this is going on too long but yeah like it was pretty ridiculous it was it's you know they had to throw some slapstick in there you know oh yeah so it's still played for laughs and um yeah, even after that, she does, Terry does not give up. Like, she's really invested in Jack. And even when she hears, when just going back, when she hears his voice, I think it's, I thought that was really a really cool dynamic that they did. When she hears his voice on his answering machine for the first time, then every time you saw her at the at her computer terminal talking to him, you would hear his voice. Yes, I thought that was really good because it kind of made that, because, you know, I mean, how else are you going to have a, I mean, they've done it ever since. Like, how else are you going to have a scene where someone's typing a response and you have to have Whoopi sort of narrate what she's typing. And so to have Jack's voice coming back is, is a really nice effect, you know? Mm-hmm. I, do, I, I always love that. Because I, mean, I think he has such a great voice. I don't know if it's, okay, forgive me. Just because it's, it's a British voice, it sounds more pleasant. I can't. I'm sorry, but maybe that ha- maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But um, but yeah, I think yeah. Moving forward, what else happens in this film that's great? Like kind of moving a little bit into the third act here. So they kind of they try a little bit. They try a little bit of everything to kind of like you know get Terry to uh, break down and give them the code key. And then Jim Belushi comes back and he's all like bandaged up because he was in that car accident after she hit him with a frying pan. And she gives, and he gives him some kind of a truth serum. 
And he says something like, let, let the serum take effect. And she's like, what kind of hokey shit is that? Like, it's just yeah. stuff like that just, just makes me laugh. And then, like, she, again, she kind of, like, oh, boy. Like, she's, like, super doped up. And she goes to Elizabeth Arden. I, right. Of course, I don't, I'm not a upper class. Uh, I didn't come from that background, so I had no idea what Elizabeth Arden was or is. was apparently some kind of spa for people who have a lot of money. It is. It's Elizabeth Arden, the red door. Oh, my God. The red door. <laughs> yeah, it's a very she-she spa. She's been around forever. Um and it's it's she's got this um signature perfume and yeah the skincare spa is something else so <laughs> yes uh it's 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 something yeah, <laughs> that's all i'll say <laughs> i mean it looked like something it was very it was all pink inside it was very pink and um we won't talk about the symbolism about that because now i can't because damn my overly critical brain now i'm thinking is it one big vagina what's going on yes and it's funny because to see a black woman in that space where it's all white women Mm -hmm. um and she's being herself and it's like these women are being it's almost as if they are in a a a pink factory a little a little a, a vagina if you will and they're being transformed so that they can be reborn right okay in the standards of what white standards of, of of beauty and here is Whoopi coming in she's filled with truth serum right mm-hmm. so she's oh. speaking her truth in this white uh, a, a white scenario like this white you know uber white uber white female area yeah absolutely I was kind of worried about her because I'm just like oh my god please don't call the cops I know me too <laughs> I was like, I was, I was nervous, man. I'm just like, oh my God, here's this woman. She's not like, you know, she's not of of complete sound mind, but it's just, she's doped up. It's just like, oh man, they're going to call the cops. They're going to call the cops. Thank God they don't. This is, we can suspend a little disbelief here because it's a movie, maybe a little. And, but she does find Sarah and tries to, you know, can you help Jack? And, you know, it, it, you know, it kind of becomes a thing. And also, um, so, but Sarah does actually like, she's like, she comes to her house and does give her, and I, and that's what I thought about it watching at this time. I'm thinking about it and I'm like, is Sarah and Sarah's husband, were they, were they moles or in on it too? And I don't think that they were. Cause I, because I was like, let me continue to watch this. Cause I don't think that they were in on it. I think they're being duped as well. Yeah. And also cause Sarah was having basically an affair with Jack and she didn't want her husband to know. So that's probably why she went to Whoopi on her own, like secretly because she didn't want her husband to know i mean for whatever reason maybe financially he's obviously supporting her (laughs) yeah and you know with that truth serum too going back to that i really enjoyed when she cussed out her boss (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah when she came into the office and she snatched his wig off oh that was so good (laughs) fantasy like get larry to have a set guard get larry to have a set guard like that's one of those other quirky lines i love oh so good yeah yeah that was great that was really fantastic um yeah and yeah because then because then talbot and his goons were there and that's when that big shootout happens right yes yeah and so because did they was she was she kid did they kidnap her first or after that no because they kidnapped her and they were going to torture her to get the key right oh yeah i think she escapes yeah, right. she escapes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But she's still doped up a little bit. So that's when that happens. And then they come. Yeah. 
and yeah, and yeah. then they do the shoot up. So yeah, right. I'm, I think we're getting things a little bit confused because like remember when Miguel Nunez, so she's walking home at night, then Miguel Nunez and his buddies come out. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> Miguel Nunez, he was Demon in Friday Five. He was also the black guy in Return of the Living Dead, for those who don't know. Yes, um, yes. And he was also Juana Man for some of our um, other listeners as well. So he he comes out looking all like, mm, mm, and then she's like, get your hands off me. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was funny to me. And then they were just, I don't think that, I don't, so honest to God, I don't think that they were going to assault her. I, I do think they were just like intent on harassing her, I, but I don't think that they were going to do anything. I just, I, I honestly don't, I don't think, I just think that they were going to harass her for as long as they could. Yeah. Cause you know how men posture when they're in a group and like they're in a gang and they just want to, you know, oh, they're so masculine. And then she says she's got like all these diseases. <laughs> then, this is my line. This is my line in this movie. When when the the KGB are coming after her and they they corner her, she's like, "I'm cured." <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite line. I'm cured, guys. We're gonna party. We're gonna <laughs> so good. That was my favorite line. I think I feel like that was in one of the commercials for the film because I really I remember oh, really? me. I feel like she said, "I'm cured" or something. I think I remember that from the commercials. For the film but um yeah that was my favorite oh it was good but yeah i mean so they're basically trying to get this code key from her because you know they're again they're i think i don't know what their purpose was with working with the kgb but i guess because also if you think about like um everything that was going on they were especially during the cold war there were spies on both ends i think we had american spies and russians had spies as well so and it, it wouldn't surprise me that um, also British British intelligence or British people had spies all over the place as well, you know, too. And then also there, um, if people, if anyone who's familiar with the television show The Americans, there was people, you know, spies who defected to their country to certain countries. Um, all the all these kinds of you know crazy things kind of happened. So yeah, I mean they were working against Jack. They were trying to frame him, and Terry's trying to help him out. So they come to, so they're in the, um, so they're in the office and they're shooting it up. And then that's where, of course, we find out that Marty is actually Peter Kane, who is one of the Jack's contacts that was on the frying pan. And what happens after? So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, they're able to kind of neutralize the situation there. The craziest thing that Terry does, I'm sorry, this is crazy. She bites Talbot's genitals. (laughs) In order to send his, because she's trying to warn Jack that the contact that they, that Sarah gave her was false. So she's trying to, before he leaves, like, no, it's a false contact. They're going to kill you. And so he, she's trying to stop him. And then she, I'm like, how do you fix your lips to do, like, I would do it. I couldn't do that. I punch him. I kick him. I'm not putting, no, not even. I would headbutt him in the balls. Right. But I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not biting. Sorry. Not, not, not even through pants or underwear. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I think even I think even Talbot was like, this woman is crazy. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, that was that was like ew. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, that was that was good. And then oh my god. What else? But the ending though. But yeah, oh. I, we should talk about um and this is a sad scene. So basically, Jack wasn't able to get back to New York City on time because he did promise to take her to a fancy restaurant. And she goes to the fancy restaurant and she's just sitting there until 
the restaurant closes. And of course, she doesn't know any. This is before cell phones. Nobody can text her and let her know, yo, I can't. Right. Running behind schedule here. None of that. So, and it was it was really sad to see Whoopi looked. She was so, she looked so happy and so like, yeah, I'm ready to meet this guy. And he doesn't show up. And so cute with her little head, their little turban mm-hmm. and like, so cute. Ugh. And Peter has to come and let her know. It's like, hey, Jack couldn't make it. And it just, it was sad too, because, you know, she just, cause you know, he, she kind of had a, she had a real vulnerable moment there, which I don't, I don't think she was really comfortable having that moment with him, but it was just like, she couldn't hide her feelings any longer. She was just like, dad, I was just, I was hoping that I would have, I would spend time with him and that didn't mm-hmm. happen. And she puts her head on his, on Peter's shoulder. And she's really sad about that. And you're just, you're, you're kind of crushed for her, honestly. Yeah. And, but you realize, but I, for me as an adult, like, especially this is, of course, like I said, before cell phones, I understand. Like, if you, if you're a spy, things, things could happen. You're, you're coming across multiple countries to come back to the United States. Things happen. I, that, it's completely understandable why he didn't show up. To me, it is. And, mm-hmm. but you do feel her sadness and you do feel her anger when he finally, you know, he comes back on the chat and she's just like, you know, man, I don't want to talk to you right now. You hurt my feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then yeah. but, but then it has that kind of happy ending where he's actually, of course, that little cute little twist was that he's actually in the office. Yeah, it was cute. and um, But then it brings up a bit of rage for me because, Uh-oh. you know, um, Romeo oh. Must Die, the controversy with Aaliyah and Jet Li. I don't remember the controversy. And how they go off into the sunset together and they didn't kiss. Oh, I didn't remember. I don't remember, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. What what happened exactly that I didn't. So I guess at the end of uh, the action of Romeo Must Die, then they're in the street and Jet Li comes up to Aaliyah and then they walk off. I think he puts his arm around her or something, but they walk off into the sunset, right? And everybody's like, where's the kiss, man? (laughs) Where's the kiss? But, and then I felt the same rage with um, Jack and Terry because they, they go off together and, and it's great because they're together and she's happy and he's happy and everything. But it's like, why can't he kiss her? Aren't the, aren't the, oh, well, he, just, he just kisses her hands. Yeah, they hold hands or they, yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, he needs to, okay, sure, that's fine. They don't really know each other, but in every other movie, that had maybe two white actors, they would be kissing, right? Yes. I mean, that's fair. Like, to, to play uh, devil's advocate, they really don't know each other. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they do have a really, they have a very friendly mm-hmm. hug. They have a familiar yet friendly yet we just met each other for the first time kind of a hug. Like, that that hug you would give the person you've been talking to online dating for right. a while and you have you've been having a really awesome rapport and when you finally meet each other you, you the first thing you're going to do is give them that smile and that hug right um but you're right there there could have there could very well have been a kiss and i feel like it's because it was whoopy because she does not look like a, a traditional like the traditional white standards of beauty even though i personally think she's so beautiful she has like all the features that you would want in terms of uh, doing makeup and, and photographing that face. She's got very distinct, beautiful, like high cheekbones and beautiful, beautiful mouth and beautiful eyes, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I just, 
it just bothers me that that's not seen as a like a, a traditional vision of beauty. That just bothers me because I would have, I mean, if I had my eyesight again, <laughs> I'd be like, yes, I want to do her makeup, you know? <laughs> it's like those old laws where, um, you know, you can't have interracial kissing or whatever. It's stupid. Oh, yeah. boy, yeah. I, I Unfortunately, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that this is what we yeah. live in. And if I could do... And I tried to do my very best to, again, I the only the only control I have is over myself and mm-hmm. what I can do. And I genuinely and have always felt, even as a little girl, um, that women of darker skin tones and have coarser hair, that that four C hair, I always thought it was just as beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have I have black female friends who are very dark skinned, have that coarse hair. Again, that that skin that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most, some people who know me do know I have issues with my skin and it, it's not a hormone imbalance. It's not really anything I can really troll. It is just simply genetic. And I'm just, and silly enough, I, was, I used to think to myself, I'm like, if I had darker skin, would I have this, these skin issues? Could I have that, that beautiful, flawless, dark chocolate skin? Like, not that I don't, not that I don't love who mm-hmm. I am, but like, you know, just thinking, we all had that conversation with ourselves. There's, there's things that we could change about our physical appearance. What would they be? Like, just hypothetically, even. And sometimes me, for me, it's my skin tone and the issues I have with, um, I'm just going to be candid here with acne. I do have, I do still struggle with those issues. I have, I have that kind of oily skin. Mm-hmm. It's not dry. It's not combination. It is just, it just wants to be mm-hmm. oily. No matter what I do, no matter how much I change my diet, no matter how much water I drink, no matter what pills I take, no matter what topical creams, nothing wants to change about it this is just the way I am and so and I've learned to embrace it over the years but um but very much like that but I think we all had those kind of physical insecurities and I think sometimes I just think it's sad when I think about Whoopi because you're right because I do see a woman who is very beautiful I don't think that she's any less but I also recognize her in comparison and in opposition to what the world is telling us constantly that what what is beautiful Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like um, there's that model. Um, she's a Canadian model. Her name's Stacy McKenzie. Uh, I believe she was in was she in uh, the fifth element? And she's very light skin. She has freckles, but she is like identifiably black. Um, and I believe she has mm-hmm. she has blonde or reddish hair. And she, you know, she would not basically fit within the standards of white beauty. However, she's a top, she was a supermodel, you know, and she's like, she's so beautiful and so unique looking, you know, so there's that too. Like, it's, it's so weird. And I don't know if it's because she's so very light skin that she's basically accepted. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I just find that, you know, she kind of came out of that quagmire of being held down because of white standards of beauty she actually came out of that and she be she was a top model i think she's doing um she might be one of the um hosts or judges on a one of the drag competition shows but um yeah she's quite beautiful and quite unique looking and that's the thing is that people don't like the uniqueness of of how Whoopi looks but I love that she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, I just love that Whoopi never, yeah. she has always been herself. She's never been apologetic about who she is. And she has like a, a great pedigree behind her. She's trained 
in theater. She's, you know, produced her own, like, or created her own one woman shows, which is what propelled mm-hmm. her into stardom. So, you know, she's her, she owns who she is. And that's what um, really stands out for me about her. And she's also a comedian mm-hmm. too. And one of the things that I love about comedians is that they're going to neutralize the truth for you. Even the, the painful truths, the harsh truths, if they're kind of giving it back to you in a delivery that makes it kind of funny and it makes you recognize, oh shit, I do that yeah. too. Um, or I recognize something for what it is in relation to my identity. So for example, in one of her one woman shows, one of the most... Um, one of the most notable things that she did, I think she was playing like this um, this little girl character that wore a towel yes. on her head and she pretended it was yes. her hair. So Whoopi is critiquing that beauty standard. Like she knows she doesn't fit that mm-hmm. mold. Of course she knows. And she's gonna she's gonna make you, you know, she's going to let you know that she knows that. She knows what you she knows what you think when you're looking yep. at her, more or less. And I think she and I think that character was kind of an avenue to that. Like she was this little girl who's like, I want that long, beautiful, golden, flowy hair, and I'm gonna put them in this towel. Is gonna, I'm gonna play, play pretend and like make believe that I have hair just like that too. And so she, I think she's definitely critiquing that system when she does that. So, oh, I was just gonna say, and she could get it too, and she did. So just <laughs> FYI, <laughs> she has a long list of boyfriends. <laughs> That's the, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's just like, don't never, as Yamanika Saunders, another comedian would say, don't come for her crown when it comes to her mm-hmm. game. Like she, like, I think she is um, heterosexual identified mm-hmm. woman. She has a daughter who's about around my age, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit older. And yeah, I and what is Whoopi's real name? Is it Karen? Karen Johnson, I think. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, native New Yorker. I mean, yeah, she she's she's lived a really good life. I mean, and she's also she's said some really froggy things in the past couple of years. Yeah. And she's on at, about you know people like um, what's that guy's name? Woody Allen and things like that. And, oh, Mel Gibson. She was <sighs> like, oh, he's not racist. He's just a, a, a an idiot or something or a dickhead. But I'm like, he's yeah. racist. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm not going to excuse her comments. No. But again, I. I'm the kind of person, you know, like this comment or not, I really do. When I look, when I, when I hear people say certain things like that, I really do look at their mm-hmm. age and the time period in which they yeah. came. And I'm just like, she's saying something somewhat her age would probably mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, doesn't make it right, but somebody her age would probably say something like that or have that kind of perspective. Yeah. For better or worse, I, you know, it that's her cross to bear not mine i try to be a little bit more diplomatic and fair when i and critical when i hear people when i say when i hear people say things like that or you know having perspectives myself mm. so i mean i think Whoopi's legacy especially with him with the movies that she did in the 80s you can't you can never count that out and you can never count you can never discount what she tried to do whether she was intentionally trying to bring forth kind of this like multiplicitous black representation or not like I don't know like I just but it's there and again like I've said I think I've said this on this podcast before I've definitely said it in real life you know we we as the consumers we're the ones that tend to give meaning mm-hmm. to the media we consume we it, it gets it gets broader it, we share our ideas and these ideas become cultures or cults and and a good a, a good way a, a cults in a good way because they become fandoms that we become fans and 
I think the the critical analysis that we do is I think what has the real impact and these these kind of sharing and exchanging of ideas is very important to that. And I think Whoopi for me has always been this. She again, she said she was ahead of her time. I think she has a really has really made a great imprint on that kind of awkward, quirky black woman or girl in on television and film. Can can I read you um, some more Bogle shade that I will tear apart after? <laughs> Please. Okay, so he says. Um, in most of her films, Goldberg must be credited with moments of dingbat originality. Underneath the brash, rough exterior is a vulnerable heroine given to loneliness and feelings of isolation. Her humor serves as a veneer to shield a woman who may fear rejection, who is also blessed with a girlish warmth and a touching tenderness. No doubt audiences could have identified with her as a daffy, resilient outsider, in brackets, not as not an oddity. Uh, who turns triumphant, but that rarely happened. <clears throat> so, first of all, dingbat? <laughs> yeah. Come on, guy. Dingbat. Um, and because would you would you call any other comedian or or male or female a dingbat? Ding he probably would. Maybe, I feel like he would call another female dingbat, but I feel like yeah. he has this. I don't know if he knows her because he's in New York, right? Uh, Bogle. I think he teaches. I believe so. Yes. Maybe he knows her. Maybe he's got a beef. I don't know. Nah. But I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. And actually, I don't know. I'm a part of the audience, and I did relate to her as a Daffy resilient outsider. But we'll scratch the Daffy part. <laughs> yeah. I related to her as such. So. I don't know. I think that's accurate, but you, you're sensing a, a snarkier tone. I feel the shade. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think, I don't know. Again, I think it just comes from her standing by what she's not going to back down with what she says, right or wrong. And I think people have a problem, problem with that. But she is she who she is. And I think that's really important because... It's taken me a long time to get to where I am now saying, this is me, you know, take it or leave it. Um, and it's basically taken taken me up until this, you know, milestone birthday to be like, this is it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'm speaking my truth. So I admire her for sticking to that from an early age, from her, you know, early 20s on or whenever. But yeah, yeah, I, I know there's some um, you're making me want to revisit some bio um, ex, ex features on Whoopi Goldberg that have been um, on on screen. Like there's some like, you know, some ex, like, you know, what do they call it? Featurettes or something like that about Whoopi's life yeah. and things like that. Growing yeah, up. They, they exist. I now I want to look at some and revisit some of those. And it's definitely some stuff, some of her. Uh, her her work as a as an actress and a comedian has been chronicled in books and stuff, of course. Yeah. But like, yeah, just I I need to revisit knowing more about Whoopi herself. But uh, and this particular movie for me was definitely um, a highlight in a lot of ways. Obviously, yeah, it you know um just having to watch it again and to you know make points and analyze it. I think it was dismissed unfairly, but it, it, again that character is so important. I feel like for black women in representation because it's so outside of what you know she's she's tech savvy she's smart again resilient um and fun and 
and endearing. So I think it's a really important character that people kind of uh, overlook because it's an 80s comedy, which a lot of times people, you know, kind of categorize in, in as silly and and not really not uh, uh i guess up for critical analysis i guess that's what i'm trying to say but yeah which it very much well could be um i don't know some some movies become a little bit obscure than others they get lost in the shuffle i think as time mm-hmm. goes on and more movies are made some things kind of get lost in the sauce and it's up to our generations to kind of keep this stuff alive. Like I, I tend to become friends with or friendly with a lot of people who are into kind of these obscure types of uh, films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jumping Jack Flash is kind of sort of one of them. Like I don't, it's not, it's not, a, it's not an iconic comedy from the eighties. It's never on one of those lists. I don't think so. No, that's no, probably. It's not. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of what we're refer. I guess we're referring to when it's um, a movie that is not talked about a lot or enough it's the same way i feel about i tweeted about this a few days ago about richard pryor one of his star vehicles called moving from like 1987 or 1988 i forget which year but it's the the same kind of a movie that again i absolutely adore but not a lot of people may or may not know about that i think it's 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 really funny like everyone knows richard pryor he's Mm -hmm. he was he was a a fantastic stand-up and probably one of the greatest to ever do it but like some some of his films like like moving is one of my favorite movies yeah i've never i when i saw that tweet i'm like oh i've never heard of that movie <laughs> so i thought oh that was kind of neat yeah so carolyn is there anything else you want to wrap us up with you have any other thoughts uh no i think that's about it i think um yeah i just uh made me fall in love with this movie all over again so yeah so thank you ashley for um bringing this film back to me yeah i always want i what i like about what we're doing here is that we're kind of focusing on the movies that we really really love mm-hmm. and i'm gonna do the sentimental thing here i'm gonna dedicate this episode to my mama i miss you mommy Aww. hope you're somewhere in, in another dimension i hope you're at perfect peace because that's what you deserved that's what you make deserve, cry. deserve now. Oh, don't <laughs> cry. It's fine. <laughs> so, because I, because I know she, I, I really do believe she's in a better place. And yeah, you know, I love that she, she gave me the gift of, she gave me the gift of wanting to be a, a just being passionate about things of laughter. She gave me the gift of, of just, just remembering that life is also for living. That life is also for enjoying the people that you're around and that we have mm-hmm. to cherish the moments that we have with the people that we love because they get taken to they get taken out so quickly and so unexpectedly sometimes and yeah. I just I'll always love her for hmm. everything she did for me and yeah. this movie was a big part of that you could cry <laughs> all I gotta say is I think your mom and my mom are probably having some tea my mom's yeah. probably made her some kind of bizarre bush tea and she's like, no, try it. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom's cooking her some sort of like overly cholesterol Latin soul food and, you know, oh, you, some, some macaroni salad. Yep. My mom salad. would be, she would be in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. So uh, where can people find you, Ashley? At Ashley Takes Note on Twitter and Carolyn. Um, you can find me at VFD Pixie. Uh, on the Twitters. And thanks guys for hanging in there and we'll see you next time. Bye.